Welcome back to the NBC Sports Podcast. Andrew Sullivan, Connell Scruggs, J.P. Eisenhower, and Andrew Feeney back with you to preview Marist versus Perry in the quarterfinals taking place tomorrow evening, 7.30 from the Panther Pit down in Perry, Georgia. Both teams won seeds. Ultimately, it came down to a coin toss. Marist lost this coin toss, so they'll have to travel the two-plus-hour trip down to Perry, Georgia, down past Macon, around the Warner Robins area, an area filled with very talented football teams, including Peach County, Perry, Warner Robins. Perry, a team that's won their first region title since 1959, their second ever um, in school history, looking, I believe, to go back to the semifinals for the second time ever in school history, only in their uh, fifth quarterfinal appearance in school history. So a team that's really setting new records um, in school history, going up against a, a perennial powerhouse in Marist. And it kind of reminds me of last year's quarterfinal matchup between Oconee County and Marist. Oconee County, a team that really had was setting new records. They made it to the state championship for one of their first um, times in school history. Um, and they upset Marist 17-7 this week. An interesting matchup that we'll get to in a second. First off, Connell, I'll go to you. Last week, Marist takes down Flowery Branch 24-0 in a top five matchup in the second round. What a just overall impressive performance out of the War Eagles. Absolutely. And main thing for me was that defense. I mean, we talked about coming into that game. This was going to be the toughest test through the air that Marist had seen all season. And we just absolutely locked that down. Only 168 total yards throughout the game versus a Flowery Branch team that averages over 400 yards per game on offense um, and held uh, the Falcons to just 108 yards um, through the air. And I think a big part of that is the pressure that the linebackers and the defensive line are creating and they're getting on the quarterback. Um, Maris quarterback pressure percentage, which is on, it's counted on drop back. So the amount of times the quarterback um, does a drop back 81% of the time uh, getting a pressure. You can credit that to our stat man, JP Eisenhower for get for uh, getting that stat, but that's just a ridiculous number four out of five times you drop back. You're going to have pressure on you. And it's, it's hard for a high school quarterback to make good throws, good solid throws down the field when you're getting pressure in your face. Um, and then also the offense struggled a little bit in the first half. The flowery branch defense proved to be a little bit uh, tougher than we expected going into that game. But in the second half, just took care of business, 132 yards, 117 on the ground. Um, really solid overall performance by the offense. Just had that one fumble by Ian Otten. But other than that, actually, correction. Champ Davis, actually, with the fumble. Yeah, Champ on Davis, the, sorry. The quarterback keeper. Ian Otten fumbled right. the week before. Week, but. week versus Central. Anyways, um, just a solid game all around. We, we've seen Maris continue to do this throughout the playoffs and throughout the whole year. Really haven't shown that many weaknesses throughout the game. Any point in the game where you've been like, man, this is getting a little out of hand or they might have some trouble. I don't. I haven't seen any of that so far from Maris in the playoffs or throughout the season. Well, I think also one thing to watch for, you mentioned all those quarterback pressures out of a, um, a passer in Renard. This week also facing a guy that can throw the ball around. We'll talk about Perry in a second with UJP. But one thing I did notice, Renard did a very good job of escaping the pocket and he did pick up a few yards with his legs after escaping the pocket. That's one thing for the Marist defense to look out for is they, they're getting all this pressure on the quarterback. They either need to complete that with a sack in the backfield or just keep an eye on the quarterback, make sure. I mean, I remember my head goes back to one specific play in the fourth quarter on 
I think fourth and 12 where Maris got three guys in the backfield, but ended up giving up 14 yards on a quarterback escape. So that's one thing to watch for, but going up against uh Perry offense and they're led by their quarterback uh, lane, I believe. Um, so he, he's more of a po- pocket passer than, um, than Renard, I think. Lane Rucker, yeah. I think he he doesn't have as good of legs, but JP, what do you see in this matchup this week between Marist and Perry? Yeah, well, I would definitely agree with you. Lane Rucker is not a dual-threat quarterback. He has just 12 carries for 15 yards on the season. He's not someone who's going to beat you with your legs, which will definitely play into this Marist defense and the pressure they get on quarterbacks. They've been beat with dual-threat quarterbacks throughout the season, but that definitely takes an aspect out of the offense that the defense has to worry about. On the season, he's struggled with turnovers. When you look at his numbers, he has 13 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and three fumbles, so 13 touchdowns to 12 turnovers. That has to be something you're worried about going into a game against a potent Marist defense. He's really great on quick throws. He can't throw on the run. He's inaccurate on deep balls, but when he gets the ball out of his hand quickly, that's when he's best. He really cannot deal with pressure, and I think that really comes with an offensive line that has struggled. But really, what they're going to look for is Mikhail Kendrick. He's really their entire offense. I mean, when you look at it, he has 1,100 yards on the season. He has 19 receptions for 166. And then they only have two other players with above 80 yards rushing. And they're both receivers. And they're both coming out of the wildcat position mainly. He does great on cuts. He does great. He does most of his work outside off tackles. And he's not really someone who's going to run in the middle. But he really has been their entire offense this year. We did see Maris going up a team up against a team in Central two weeks ago, and they were led by Narada Lavette, who had just a tremendous year, and Maris shut him down to under 100 yards rushing, and he was averaging maybe, what, one or two yards a carry when he was averaging seven and a half yards a carry on the season. So I, I think that Lane Rucker is going to have to have a heck of a game because I think Perry is going to have to go to the air if they want to find success. I just don't see them being able to run the ball with Mikhail Kendrick, despite the fact that he's had a tremendous year. Right. No team so far against Maris has been able to establish any sort of a run game. And so we say this, I feel like week after week, the quarterback for the opposing team has to have a heck of a game in order for uh, the opposing team to be competitive because you have to get it done through the air. That's pretty much your only option with a front seven, with how the front seven's looking like for Maris this year. And, it's not like the secondary is a weak spot at all. They're ex- they're extremely talented too, but that seems to be the weaker of the two options right now. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think from an offensive line standpoint too, the offensive line for opposing teams going up against Maris, they better be hitting the film room a lot and they better be preparing a lot for just all the different looks that Maris will give them because that defensive set front seven for the War Eagles has been so dynamic. And they're so quick. We saw that against Stevenson. Stevenson had a good uh, offensive line that was big. They just weren't fast enough. And the Marist agility up front just caught up to him and ultimately just demolished him in the backfield. Yeah, then outside of Kendrick, it's really been Daquan Wright, the receiver. He's 6'4". He's really the player that they like to target in the red zone. He has six touchdowns that leads all receivers. It actually, if you look at the touchdowns from the second and third receiver combined, it equals his six touch receiving touchdowns. He's the qu- he's the receiver that you'll see mainly running out of the wildcat position. 
And going back to what you were saying about the offensive line, this Perry offensive line is a little bit bigger um, than than you would say average. So like you said, they're really going to have to prepare for these different looks and blitzes that Maris brings because that's kind of been the main source of the pressure other than the just pure defensive line talent has been the the wild looks that Maris gives with the linebackers blitzing some, pulling some off, off the defensive end and in the coverage while blitzing on the other side. It's just a whole host of things you have to prepare for as an offensive line. And it's just hard as a high, like high schoolers, high school team that isn't polished and hasn't really seen that many looks from, from guys with the talent and physicality that Maris has. It's hard to compete with that and uh, give your quarterback enough time to, to make good throws. We talk about this week on the road at Perry Maris, the team that is nine and zero on the season. They've played seven of those nine games at home. Um, that, having to do with their two cancellations of games um, in Druid Hills and Chapel Hill were road games that didn't happen. And then the Mays regular season game got moved to home. Marist ended up playing more games than normal in the regular season at home, despite only playing eight games, six at home, two on the road. And then the first two weeks of the playoffs at home, two hour plus drive as well. They haven't had to make any of those long drives that we've seen in years past up to West Hall and those sorts of, schools white county to play region games how do you think that affects the team this week not only being on the road but having to drive at least twice as far as their uh farthest away uh away game that was at woodward yeah i think it'll definitely be a really interesting experience obviously don't have a lot of experience going away so far this year um double the length as you said from the farthest team farthest distance that we've traveled but Overall, I think it, and it's gonna, it's a football town, and um, really, it's probably gonna be the biggest crowd, visiting crowd at least that we've seen all year. I think last week was probably the biggest general crowd that we've had in a very long time, but yeah, definitely the biggest visiting crowd that we've seen all year. But I think all in all, Coach Chadwick's definitely gonna have him prepared for it. Yeah, I think it. That's just something that adds to the preparation for this week. I think Coach Chadwick, with his experience, knows what he's doing. I think they'll be ready to play. Last week, I think it was... That might have taken an effect on the performance at Oconee County. They certainly didn't play their best game in that game. And it might have had an effect that it was day after Thanksgiving and an hour-plus bus ride. But I think they're not going to make that mistake again this week. I think they'll come fully prepared to take on Perry. As we take a look at some other big-time games, we've reached the quarterfinals in all classifications this week. That means some... Very big matchups because you finally see one seeds and one seeds matching up um, and coin tosses determining the home seed. A lot of these games, surprisingly, we're seeing massive amounts of travel in. We'll start with our first game, Cedartown and Bainbridge, the one we'll pick. We'll remind you of the standings after last week. I'm still in first 58, JP 49, Connell 47, and Feeney 44. Two upset picks correct last week, though, and Feeney hit and I hit... um, that's a that's our best upset uh, performance we've had in a week single week this year, um, but Cedartown and Bainbridge, this I think we came into the um, into the playoffs thinking quarterfinal matchups the one you'll everybody will want to keep their eyes on certainly going to be Jefferson Carver Columbus. Um, now it's based on these Carver Columbus performances of late, it's looking less and less like that. I think the one to keep your eye on this week, Cedartown. And Bainbridge, if Marist wins, they would end up playing on the road at one of these, the winner of this game, um, because the coin toss Marist already lost. 
Um, Bainbridge, four plus hours away. Cedartown, more like 90 minutes. Cedartown, a team that has been very hot of late. Um, if you take a look at their schedule, they did lose two games to start the season. They're eight and two, but they lost their first two. They lost to a Rockmart team from 3A that was just lost by three to the number one ranked Cedar Grove um, Saints down there in 3A. And they lost to Calhoun 14 to seven. Calhoun, a team that's that's still in the quarterfinals up in 5A that played in basically the region of death up there with Cartersville and Blessed Trinity and took BT to the brink. Um, then they just got on a roll. They played some region games. Their region was very weak, um, and they blew everybody out. They did play Central with Team Marish Face. They beat them 34-7. They did not play in the first week because Arabia Mountain had to forfeit. That's one thing to keep your eye on. Does that help them because they got an extra week of rest? Does it hurt them maybe? taking a week off there, and then they absolutely annihilated North Oconee last week, 56-0. to That was an impressive performance. Um, taking on Bainbridge this week, Bainbridge, a team that, similar to Cedartown, they, they started off pretty slow as well. They lost three of their first four, but also to very elite competition in Coffee, Valdosta, Ware County, teams from 5 and 6A, um, that are all still in the playoffs as well. I mean, those are games that Valdosta, you kind of expected them to lose, and they lost pretty handily 45-7. to But Ware County and Coffee, they were in both of those games um, with a lead, actually. So Bainbridge, another team to, that's competed well, and they've also gotten on a roll. It's kind of just both teams are hot, but one of them has to lose this week. One thing to keep your eye on for Bainbridge, Dayon Bowie, their star, um, athlete that's a five-star committed to Georgia recently has not played a game yet this season, and I believe he will not be playing. He uh, had an ACL and MCL injury in the preseason, so I don't believe he'll be playing this week or for the remainder of the playoffs. Um, but both teams, plenty of experience. Um, it's kind of take your pick in this one. I think pretty even matchup. I'm going to go with uh, Cedartown in this one. I think they've been very hot, and that defense has been very impressive. They keep the ball on the ground. That might be good for um, this December cold football, averaging over 270 yards on the ground. Harlem Diamond averaging 7.5 yards per, per carry. They run that triple option, and then they have their star linebacker. And uh, actually, he plays on the offensive side of the ball as well in C.J. Washington. I think they pull, I guess you would say a little bit of an upset here, but I think it's kind of a pick a matchup here in Cedartown and Bainbridge. I'm going to go with Bainbridge here. Um, Cedartown's only played one game so far in the playoffs, like you said, and they won 56 to zero. That looks good on paper, right? Then you look uh, North Oconee. They're actually a three seed and they are under 500 this season. So when you put that in context, it's not really that much of an impressive win over North Oconee. And then you look at Bainbridge, uh, who has not scored less than 42 points in the playoffs so far, blanking uh, Westside Macon 42-0 and blanking Islands, who actually was uh, who peeped into the 4A top 10 a little bit earlier in the se- uh, later in the season, beat them 43-0. So, but the big thing is in this game, neither team has allowed a point in the playoffs so far. Like you said, they're both hot, um, but I think Bainbridge is going to get it done here. Um, Cedartown. They've been very limited to the ground on offense. And if somebody shuts that down, they don't really have another avenue uh, to go offensively. Um, they have a really good defense. Like you were saying, they got CJ Washington, four-star, Jaden Johnson, three-star safety. 
Um, but I just think I think Bainbridge is the better team here. Face better competition. I think they're going to get it done. Bainbridge also a three star, uh, three year starting quarterback in Quade Hawkins. So who ended up winning them a state championship uh, back in 2018. So they might have a little more experience than this Bainbridge squad. Yeah, I think um, I I think back in I think it was either week four or week three of the podcast, real early in the season, I picked Bainbridge to win a game. I watched a lot of their film. I really like this Bainbridge team. I've been high on them ever since they won the game that I picked them. No reason to change now. I'm going Bainbridge. You know, I want Cedartown to win because I don't want to have to drive, was it like four or five hours? But I, I can't pick against Bainbridge because I think they're the better team, and I, I just can't pick against this offense because I don't think Cedartown can put up enough points to where they'd be able to beat Bainbridge. But if Cedartown wins, Sella will buy the entire Cedartown football team dinner. <laughs> yeah, that that won't be happening, JP. I can tell you that much. But I think it's similar to last week in that we're some of us picked against a team, but we're all cheering for Cedartown. Um, and we were all cheering for Lagrange last week. That didn't get us anywhere. Um, it got us with a matchup in, against Perry, who really blew out a uh, uh, Lagrange thirty-four to four. Both, both, all four of those points came on uh, safeties on punts from. From Perry, that's one thing to keep your eye on is the long snapping long this snappers. week out of, out of Perry. But a cu- couple other games to mention here in the quarterfinals. A lot of them in 5A, some big-time matchups up in 5A. We'll start with the one I mentioned earlier in 4A, JP Jefferson and Carver. I guess you would say that's your other one to keep an eye on. Um, that's a that's a top-five matchup again in 4A, but Carver has looked a little down recently. Yeah, Carver's offense has looked a lot worse in the playoffs. They're definitely taking a step back. But their defense has taken a step up as their offense took a step back. And when you look at their defense, they've played well all season, but they've really stepped up in the playoffs. But when you look at this Jefferson offense with Malachi Starks, he's just, he's an athlete. I mean, he the five-star committed to Georgia. He's averaging a first time every time he carries the ball. I don't see them being able to stop this Jefferson offense. I mean, this Jefferson offense, they've they've just been able to completely dominate teams all season. Yeah, and then let's go up to 5A here. Cartersville and Ware County. That's a matchup of two seeds up there. Um, I believe it's at Ware County. Ware County, that's going to be a long drive for Jeff, uh, for Cartersville all the way down to Ware County. But those teams both really, I mean, they're, they're really one seeds. They just got stuck in tough regions. Ware County losing by three to Warner Robins. Cartersville not even, didn't even lose a game in the region. They just had one forfeited to BT basically on coronavirus issues but then those other two teams match up as well and warner robbins and blessed trinity i think the winner of those two matchups you'll see in the the winners of those matchups playing in the state championship connell let's head to you maybe the game of the of the week in the whole state in warner robbins versus blessed trinity the number one versus number two ranked teams up in 5a yeah uh anytime you hear blessed trinity in the playoffs um you know they're going to perform this team was ridiculous in 4A. Let's just say that. They dominated in their time in 4A. They're currently 8-0. and And since last year, they picked up a quarterback, J.C. French, um, who has really helped complete this team, kind of, who already had a dominant rushing attack uh, in the form of Justice Haynes, who averages 11 yards per carry and has not had a game this season where he's rushed for less than 100 yards. Um, it's really just the potency on offense. And you know, Blessed Trinity is an extremely physical team on defense. Um, Coach Tim McFarland does a great job with them. He he's experienced in the playoffs, and you look at Warner Robins, extremely talented team. They've played 
Uh, a lot of good competition this year. They technically beat Valdosta this year, but not really. They lost the game in regulation, and then uh, it went back to their win column, column out of the loss column because Valdosta was forced to forfeit that game due to playing an ineligible player who is Jake Garcia, uh, who was a USC commit. Um, and then they also played Ware County and beat them 22-19, to which is kind of their marquee win of this season. So... Where I agree with you. I think Warner Robins, Blessed Trinity, probably the two best teams in 5A. Uh, I got Blessed Trinity coming out of that matchup, even though we're not picking this game. Yeah, I, I kind of like that too. Warner Robins did not look amazing last week against Woodward. A lot closer than a lot of people expected. Honestly, closer than the Marist-Woodward matchup from earlier this season. But both teams, I mean, perennial powerhouses. And Warner Robins, that, that's an interesting scenario with that Valdosta game. But even though they did technically win, right. they lost, but they only lost by three. So they were pretty evenly matched with a more talented then than now Valdosta team. A um, couple other ones we'll mention. Coffee, Calhoun, another one. I mean, you look at these matchups, that's a three versus three seed matchup. And those are the three seeds out of that those two regions. In three of the four quadrants in uh, up in 5A, we're seeing matchups between teams out of the same two regions, the regions of death, as we like to call them, with Coffee and Ware County and Warner Robins all in one region, Blessed Trinity, Calhoun, Cartersville all in another. So it's unreal what's going on up there. That'll be one to watch. And then down in single A private, also could consider this one the game of the week. Feeney, Elka, Prince Avenue, Two-storied programs down in single-A private. What a matchup we got, and technically a big-time rematch. You know, it's it's um, it's um a really interesting game because Prince Avenue has had a great regular season. Elka, iffy, still good, just not as great as we're used to. Um, Elka has won five straight state championships, and uh, they played last year. Uh, I don't remember which round. Was it semifinals? Uh, qu- quarter? quarterfinals um elka won 62 to 57 um that was that's pretty high scoring i don't think it'll be this high uh, this high scoring <laughs> pretty this high scoring. a little bit um, just a little bit just a little bit i think uh i we're not picking but i think elka overall just because of their greatness in the playoffs i think that elka will win this game brock vandegrift looking to get one more yeah, shot at yeah one more shot at elka in the playoffs before he departs for georgia looking to bring a state championship Home to Prince Avenue instead of Eagles Landing, which would be the first time in six years. Um, but definitely one to watch as well. We'll keep eyes on all of those games tomorrow night with live look-ins throughout our broadcast, but we'll head to college football now. A couple games to take an eye, uh, a look at. Let's start off with the Army-Navy game, uh, JP. Well, the Army-Navy game is a great game every single year. It's always going to be a closer game than expected. The Army game, Army's coming off a huge 28-27 to win over Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern's a lot better team this year than they have been in years past. Army's 7-2 and two this year. They're averaging 346 yards per game, and Navy's giving up 410 yards per game. They're scoring 30.6 points per game while only giving up 16.3, and they're averaging almost 300 yards rushing yards per game. I'm taking Army in this one. Go Army, beat Navy. Go Navy, beat Army, J.P., Navy just with a lot harder strength of schedule, in my opinion. They've faced a lot better opponents than Army has, and I think they're much better tested than this Army team, despite the fact that um, you know Army's got a much better record. 
a lot of that can go on the uh, schedule here. And Navy's been playing teams uh, like like the BYUs of the world. They played Memphis. They played Tulsa. They lost to Memphis by three. That's impre- pretty impressive despite losing that game. They kept Tulsa within their reach. Um, stayed, stayed close with SMU for a while. Um, BYU was a blowout, but there's all sorts of stories about not practicing before that game with it being the first game of the season. All of their games, for the most part, I know they're like three and six, I believe, but they've all been pretty close games this year, so I got to go with Navy. Uh, I'm going to go with Army here. I love this game. The two branches, or two of the branches of our militaries competing against each other in football. One of the most exciting games. Uh, I'm still going to go with Army. Um, Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) I... I re I love this game. This is always a 50-50. Like it's just whoever wants to who wants it more. Um I've always been a big Navy guy just because of uh like Navy's usual I think they've played Notre Dame for like a hundred straight years before this year. This it was, was it was gonna be in Ireland this yeah, year, right? Yeah, it was gonna yeah. be in Ireland to start the year. And um I I re I just I I just I just love I love Navy. I feel like they exactly what you said, Solo. They have a better strength of schedule. Army has not played a lot of people, and um, I think I think they're uh, yeah. I think I think Navy's gonna pull this one out. It kind of it's kind of reminds me of Marist versus St. Pius, and that it, a lot of times it's not the team that you expect to win that wins. We saw that for like the past, other than last year, like four years previous. It was almost always the team that was not favored that won the Marist Pius game. You see that a lot in this game. Army Navy, always close, as you guys said. Let's move on to an ACC matchup, top 25 matchup. Feeney and UNC versus Miami. Pretty much competing for like the number three seed out of the ACC this year. Yeah. Um, realistically, we're not picking teams. We're picking which quarterback is going to win this game. Derek King versus uh, Sam Howell. Re- uh, it's just... Both both defenses have are just like average one or two playmakers on each side. So, for example, like North Carolina has Chaz Surratt, and then um, Miami has um, the, the I forgot his name, but the edge rusher is really good. I think realist. I think realistically, it's again, it's going to be a shootout. I think um, anytime either team has played a good offense, they've allowed over five hundred yards. So, um, it's a really close one, but I think. North Carolina's strength of schedule is a little bit better than Miami, so I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with North Carolina in this one. Yeah, I like that pick. I don't think I mean Miami played uh, Clemson, but that wasn't really much of a football game no, after the first whooped. quarter. Um, North Carolina, I mean they're pretty well tested. Miami's been very close against some teams like Virginia and Virginia Tech and NC State. I think North Carolina just. Despite some issues on the defensive side of the ball, I think they pull away. And um, North Carolina, I mean, they they scored three times against Notre Dame. That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, they they, they impressive. might have the best offense in the ACC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am also going to go with North Carolina, although I think it's going to be a really close game. Um, we talk about kind of each team being tested. Miami's played a lot of close games this season, but so has UNC. I mean, they only beat Wake Forest by six. Um, they lost to Virginia. And they lost to Florida State, so that's kind of all I have. That's that's how I'm going to end it there. Um, but even with that, I, I I don't really want to pick Miami here. I just something's telling me I shouldn't ah. pick Miami. I hope my gut is right, is but it, it probably will be wrong. 
Um, but it was anyways, the first week of the season when Miami shocked the world and beat uh, Louisville. Yeah, we were like, we, were, <laughs> we, were like, we no all picked chance. Louisville here. Louisville's a good team this year. I, yeah, they did. Nah, they gave Notre Dame. They didn't lose to Georgia Tech by 20. Yeah. You know, something's telling me not to pick Miami, so I'm not going to listen to it, and I'm going <laughs> to pick Miami. Just because, you. I mean, you mentioned they were close. Miami was close against Virginia. UNC lost to Virginia. I mean, when you look at it, Miami... They've played close games, but they're they're still winning. I mean, the the one game against Clemson, it's Clemson. So I mean, I get why they would get they lose that game, but UNC they're just losing. They're losing games that they shouldn't be losing, and I I feel like this is one that where you feel like UNC should win this, and just because you feel like they should win this, I feel like they're gonna lose this one. So I'm gonna pick Miami in this. Yeah, let's go to upset picks real quick this week. Um, I wanted the Ole Miss upset over Texas A&M this Who week. Didn't? Who didn't? Come but, on. Who didn't want that one? But it did get canceled, unfortunately, for the uh, group of five teams. Rip in the chat. Um, so I'm going to go with Minnesota over Nebraska. Honestly, a little bit surprised this this game was a um, over a 10-point underdog pick for Minnesota. Um, both teams are not having the best of years. We expected Minnesota... I mean, at the beginning of the season, Minnesota would have been favored in this one, but they kind of got blown out by some teams, including Iowa and Michigan. They did play Purdue. Uh, I'm not going to say they won that game because they really did not deserve to win that game, but they won that game by three points. So they're coming off a win and then a and then a week off because uh, was it Ohio State they were supposed to play got canceled? No, no, it was they were they did get a game canceled. Anyway, they're coming off a win and then a bye week. Nebraska coming off um, also a win over Purdue. So that that was an upset pick for JP, right? Yep, I picked Rutgers over Purdue oh, for Rutgers, that one. Oh, Rutgers, Rutgers. Um, so both teams coming off wins. I'm just going to go Minnesota. Big Ten's kind of been a site of a lot of un- underdog wins this season. Uh, I'm going to go with one of my specialties here. Um, <laughs> some random game. I'm going to go UTEP over North Texas. This is a 10-point spread here. I had UTEP uh, upsetting another team. I can't remember who it was uh, earlier this season, and they actually covered. So maybe this time they'll actually complete the job and, and win the game. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. You can never you can never guess what's going to happen in these kind of weird games. You watch film on those teams yet? Absolutely not. <laughs> Cannot name one player on either team. But... Nonetheless, I'm picking it. UTEP, UTEP let me down earlier this season. I picked them for it. I picked them for an upset, and they didn't pull through. I think it was UTEP over Charlotte. Didn't come through for me. Um, I'm gonna go. You know, I think that one thing we've learned in the past two years, JP, whenever he picks Mizzou, it doesn't work. <laughs> like they lose every time, every single time. But we're gonna mix. We're gonna change the momentum. All right, somebody different's gonna pick Mizzou. I'm gonna take Mizzou over Georgia, baby. I think they'll. I'm bold, bold statement. Even if they don't win, I think they cover. I think they cover the spread. JP's got to be pretty pleased with that. <laughs> I thing. mean, Aaron Murray called Connor Bazelek the best quarterback in the SEC. Oh, so get out of here! Dude, I'm just get out of here. All right, did he actually say that? I believe it oh, was someone. I, I, I gotta find say that. I gotta find this job. Wait, I gotta find this statement. <laughs> All right, I hope he didn't gotta, say that. Gotta, for, uh, yeah, that's that's not gonna happen. That's not good for I him. I mean, let's let's just quickly list off all the better quarterbacks than Basilek <laughs> in the SEC. All right, we Jones, got Trask, Trask. Jones, yeah, Aaron Murray, Connor Basilek is the best quarterback oh, in the my SEC. Word. All right, go ahead, JP. You're so, upset. You know, I'm not gonna say he's wrong. I think Connor Basilek in the future could be. Uh-huh. I don't think he is now, 
but uh, I definitely like that for a future reference. I mean, but come not, on, Corral, not in the present. Corral is better than Corral's yeah. not better. I yes, would take. Corral. I would not take Corral. I would take Corral and their backup. I would love yeah. Ryan Spumley over him. <laughs> All right, but I'm gonna take a page out of Connell's book and pick two random teams. I'm gonna pick Central Michigan over Toledo. Actually, I unlike Connell, I actually did look into him a little bit. They have the they have the same record, and when you look at the teams they've played, the common opponents, they have very similar scores and very similar margins of victory and loss. So I don't know how this game's an eleven point spread. So I'm going to pick Central Michigan to beat Toledo. Any any players on those teams you know either? Absolutely uh, not. Okay, all right. Um, discussion this week. Let's talk a little more playoffs. Um, but first, let's talk about this Ohio State and Big Ten situation. Obviously, the Big Ten, there were options out there if the Big Ten wanted to break their rules and how they could break the rules to get this situation off their hands. One of the ways that they could have fixed this without breaking the rules was just to schedule them a different game in the Big Ten, move around schedules. Um, That didn't happen. They could have broken the rules as to letting them play a game outside the Big Ten. Cincinnati, Texas A&M, those games were all mentioned. Um, that didn't happen. Instead, they, instead they decided just to let the five game, the six game rule go down the five games. Your opinions on this guys. I mean, would that have happened if it was anybody other than Ohio state in the big 10? No. And that's my problem with it. Um, I can see exactly why they did this as a conference. Uh, you need money because we're in COVID right now. Uh, you need it. And for that to happen, uh, you're going to need a team to make the playoff and Ohio State is their pretty much it's it's their most legitimate team to make the playoff and I think by far the best 10 best team in the Big 10. So of course they're going to do this. It makes sense from a business perspective as a conference. However, looking at it from a fan's perspective, um hate it. I I don't like it because I think if it, you you switch it JP made this point earlier, you switch you got Indiana's record and Ohio State's record, you flip them. Flip the team. So Indiana's 5 and 0 right now and Ohio State has Indiana's record. I don't think it's happening. I don't think they lower the game, the minimum game requirement. I, I, I just don't think that happens. I couldn't have said it better myself, Connell. It's, it's, it, it's like, it's just disappointing. Like they could have done so much. There's so many different teams outside the Big Ten that could have scheduled. There were other teams they could have moved schedules around. And it's literally just because they know that if they let them just do the five games and then the Big Ten championship, then they, they have the best chance of getting into the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, when you put any other team, if you were to have any other team go above Ohio State, Ohio State would be put in over them if that team above them doesn't meet the game requirement. No other team would get this kind of treatment, and that's what that's what bothers me, is that I don't think any other team but Ohio State would get this treatment. I don't even think Michigan would get this treatment. Uh, my opinion further further on that, do I, I, think, I do think Ohio State is one of the best four teams in the country, so if we're if we're looking at it from a playoff perspective and trying to get the best four teams, if if you're just looking at it from that criteria, best four teams in the country in the playoff, you're probably pretty happy with this uh, this rule being changed because I think Ohio State is definitely one of the best four teams in the country. Yeah, and I understand that games are getting canceled because of COVID, and you're saying that it's because you know there's it's just a different year. But why not let them reschedule a different game then? Why not let them go outside the conference? Why not let them do other things that doesn't involve changing the rules for them? 
Do you think they would have played Cincinnati if Cincinnati? No, they wouldn't. Play? If they they would have continued to push for the rules to be changed, I don't think they would try to play another game because I don't think they would want to play Cincinnati or Texas A and M and risk another loss. I, I wish they would have played Texas A and M. I think they would have beat the crap out of Texas A and M, but I wish they would have played them just yeah, so we so could we know. Could eliminate Texas A and M. Well, and that would have given the power five, uh, the group of five teams, at least an an, an option here because they don't have a chance. Well, well no, they're never gonna. Here's the scenario, JP. Clemson beats, I mean, sorry, uh, Notre Dame beats Clemson, which yeah. I think that's at 50-50 right now. I think Bama, it is too. Bama beats Florida, which seems like a growing possibility yeah. given the way Florida's playing right now. And then Ohio State wins out, which seems like a pretty good possibility. That's three teams in right now. You've eliminated Clemson. You've eliminated Florida. If Ohio State beat Texas A&M, you've eliminated the Texas A&M. They would have to go to Cincinnati if they wanted to put an extra. No, team. they 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 would literally put a two loss Iowa State in over. Yeah. That. If they did like that, the oh my JP, God. it would have been it would be Oklahoma, I think. But they would, would they put yeah, Oklahoma no, in? No, no. Oklahoma, Oklahoma no, they behind put, Iowa State because no, the but Oklahoma's going to beat uh, but here's oh, the thing. Iowa State. They would ne- they will never put a non Power Five team in the playoffs until the playoff format has changed. I don't think a non Power Five team is ever going to be able to make it in the current format. And anyone who thinks that they are, they're playing these insane scenarios where everything has to go wrong for every Power Five team, and they have to go undefeated and just get completely lucky. And in that, and, and I like exactly what you're saying there because it's it's totally true. And I was listening last night, and Joel Klatt, actually genius analyst, we love all him. love him, love big him. big fans of Joel big Klatt Joel here. Um, he brought up a good point. He's like. Looking at the scenario right now and the treatment in the past of BYU and right now, actually, of Cincinnati. Cincinnati's more of the, the case because they seem like a more solid team than BYU, and they've absolutely proven it. Um, they honestly might they they might in the future have to separate the Power Five and the Group of Five into two separate divisions and have two separate national championships because at this point, if you're a Power Five team, you have like no hope of making the playoff. I mean, like you said, it has to be a nuclear disaster situation for all the power five teams for them to even consider putting a group of five team in there. And I think that honestly wouldn't be a bad idea because then you got power five teams, you know, they're on a dip. They're really on a different level of competition than the group of five as a whole. Um, and then you have the group of five competing, competing for their own national championship, which might drive up a little bit of recruiting in that case for them because then you have at least a legitimate chance to compete for a national championship um, and those programs could eventually grow. So I think that might be the best option going into the future. Yeah, all right. Let's talk about a different scenario here. I think these are the two most interesting scenarios. That one, I think it's still a possibility, but I think think Texas A&M now has a decent shot at it. Um, But I think... It's not out of the realm of possibility to believe Florida, I mean, Bama beats Florida, Ohio State wins out, and Notre Dame beats Clemson. I think the first two, Bama beating Florida and Ohio State winning out, are definitely like favored right now. Yep. Notre Dame, Clemson's kind of a toss-up. Toss up. Um, but it, it's not out of the realm of possibility to see that happen. The only thing was they needed Texas A&M to lose. I think, personally... JP, I think if that happened, they they'd put Cincinnati in if Cincinnati won out. Um, now, I think Texas A and M probably would get in over Cincinnati. In, over Cincinnati, my thing would be in that scenario, they're gonna just ha- end up with Bama playing Texas A and M again, and we all know how that's gonna exactly. end. Exactly, that's my point. So, I feel like 
we know that Texas A&M I is not a, a playoff team. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Texas A&M gets in over Cincinnati because I, Cincinnati. I think it is. Cincinnati still has to play Tulsa, who's a ranked team, and that's they would also that be game a, got canceled though. No, it got postponed. Oh, got postponed. They would also be they would also be a conference champion, which that's somewhat of a big deal. Apparently, let's go to the other scenario in that uh, Clemson wins and Florida wins and Ohio State wins out. That's uh, I think that's me. I think that's a nightmare right. for the. For well, here's the, uh, what here's what's gonna happen committee. with that. The committee's gonna choose between Alabama and Notre Dame. They're gonna choose Alabama because of name brand. I think Notre Dame's played. The, I don't think because of name brand. It would I think, probably well, be, it's like, be based they, on their schedule. They played. It's also gonna be based on offense. I think their offense yeah. has played so much better. I think Notre Dame though, with the season they've had, I would like to see Notre Dame just because when you look at it, they've beat Clemson. And that's their only loss. So their one loss is also a team they've already beaten. Well, and if they let Notre Dame in, then who you would have to worry about who you put at one. Which hold yeah. on, which hold on, would you put Clemson or Florida at one? Because if you put Clemson at one, then it's I think it's a hundred percent Alabama would get the four spot just because they don't want to see Clemson versus Notre Dame yeah. for the well, third time. Well, keep in mind, Clemson, Clemson and Florida. I mean, right now Clemson is a is ahead of Ohio State. And if and if Notre Dame loses to Clemson and Ohio State wins out, what's to say Notre Dame shouldn't be ahead of Ohio State too? Because Clemson right now has the one loss to Notre Dame and they're ahead of Ohio State. So why, if Notre Dame ends up with one loss and it's to Clemson, should they not be ahead? If of it's Ohio a State? one possession, if it's a one possession game, then the change all that happens is Notre Dame and Clemson flip, and you get another th- the but. But you would get the third rematch, but nobody would want to see that. So that's why I would think they would put Ohio State at four, at three. Yeah, and that's Here's another, what I, that's what I was about to get to is I think they're gonna choose. I think they're gonna choose between Alabama and Notre Dame, but I want Ohio State to be out in I, that scenario. I think Ohio State will be out. Actually, I don't think I don't think the committee will be able to choose between those two, and then they'll realize, oh wait, Ohio State they've they've played six games. Who have they played? Literally nobody except Indiana. Indiana went to overtime, right? Or no, they lost. They, they they beat them in the last drive by a touchdown. And you look at this, there's not really an explanation for how if Clemson beat Notre Dame and it wasn't like by 30 points, like let's say Clemson beats Notre Dame by seven or 10 points. There's not really an explanation that they would even be able to give for why Ohio State would be able to jump Notre Dame. Uh I mean, yeah, that's definitely an interesting point there. I never thought about that. But also, I don't see in that case how Notre Dame could be left out. I really don't. I think it'd be so unfair for them to be left out. And coming as a Bama fan, I honestly probably think Notre Dame would be in over Alabama because you think about this. If you flip the games, let's say Clemson beat Notre Dame in the regular season and Notre Dame beats uh, Clemson in, in the ACC championship. Like, what if you flip the game? Does that make Notre Dame a bet just because they beat them in the second one? I I think it's, mm-hmm. I I think it's just honestly, if they if they split, they both got to be in. But also, also Alabama is ahead of Notre Dame right now. Well, and if they both lose a conference champion, then like, what's to say Notre Dame then should then just jump Alabama because they both that lost? Was, that was so that's also was a really thinking, good point because it was like if if Alabama if they both lose. And one of them has to go. Then it's. I think the easiest thing for the for the committee to say, which it didn't seem like this a couple weeks ago, the easiest thing for them to do is just say Ohio State's out. They didn't play enough games in our opinion. That's the easiest. I I I think that would if you put a a room of a bunch of college football fans 
They have would. you put them in a room and made them choose? I think it would probably be, in that case, Ohio State wins outright. Uh, Clemson beats Notre Dame and Florida wins. I think it would be something like Clemson won, Florida 2, Notre Dame 3, Alabama 4. So you get that Clemson-Alabama I'd matchup love, I'd love to and see that Florida-Notre Dame matchup. If, uh, I don't care if uh, Notre Dame if Notre Dame um, if Notre Dame loses to Clemson and it still gets into the playoff because I want to see I want to see Notre Dame Florida best well, all right second uh, top three offense in all of college football in my humble opinion versus the number one defense in all of college non biased non biased <laughs> I think that would be like the, one of the the most exciting matchups well all and we would also, also get like part ten of Clemson versus yes, Alabama and who also, doesn't love that matchup if Florida if Florida beats Alabama and Clemson beats Notre Dame, then those four teams have clearly distinguished themselves from everybody else, and Ohio State has done nothing to earn a spot. I, I agree with you, and it would honestly... Let's make it happen. It, <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be kind of an abomination if Alabama loses that one game versus Florida. That's how you're going to determine they don't deserve to make the playoff. I mean... What you know well, what I mean? And, and it'd be even more of an abomination if Notre Dame loses splits with Clemson. Right, they split. Yeah. And, they literally and Clemson split. ends up in the one spot and Notre Dame ends up out, out of the of playoff. playoff. So yeah. I think Exactly. That's the point I was making. And it, it's it's Ohio State, it, it's unfortunate for them, but you know what? They haven't it's proven it. Their fault. They it's have at not. the end of the day. I mean it's not I don't want to say it's their fault. It's the Big Ten's fault. So it's it would it's unfortunate, but they don't deserve it. Yeah, I think that ends up coming down to scheduling and ultimately the fact that the Big Ten just isn't what it usually is. I mean, typically they're playing Penn State and they're playing Michigan, both of whom are top 15 teams and they're winning those games and they just clearly didn't have those opportunities this year because those teams are shockingly some Terrible. of the worst teams in the Big Ten. So And they got canceled. Football. Well, yeah, and they got canceled. So that'll pretty much wrap it up here on NBC's Sports Podcast, episode 15 of season three. But we remind you, tomorrow night, 7.30, big-time matchup down in Perry, Georgia, at the Panther Pit. Marist and Perry going at it for the quarterfinal matchups in 4A, GHSA. Trip to the semifinals on the line. Going to be a fun one. Connell and I will be on the call. Whole crew's headed down after school tomorrow to Perry to cover the game, so make sure you tune in on the NFHS Network. Live at 7.37.10 for the pregame show with J.P. Eisenhower and Emmett Probst. But for now, signing off on behalf of J.P., Connell and Andrew Feeney. My name's Andrew Sullivan. Saying so long. Go War Eagles. We'll see you tomorrow night from Perry, Georgia.